0: On Dig Me Out. Tim and Jay review, Super Friends by Sweetwater.
1: I like the Uptempo
2: stuff, I like the pop-oriented stuff.
1: And I cannot fathom how that wasn't a massive single.
2: You know, it's more of a guitar tone that would be akin to a poison record.
1: I think the, the record starts to lose me a little bit in the back half. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host Tim Menichi, and joining me. For our final review of Season 3, Episode 154, Mr. Jason Ziak, back again. For the attack. Back for the attack. Jay, we've made it through now three seasons worth of reviews. All we have to do is wrap this season up next week and uh, put a bow on it. It'll be our uh, New Year's Eve episode everybody can enjoy and uh, they can they can listen to their, this episode while they're downing their champagne and eating their caviar <laughs> and doing what else they do on their on their celebrations for the 2014 incoming 2014 year and which will be our fourth season of dig me out and it's gonna be a it's gonna be an unusual uh, season for us because I'm used to having you just down the road from me uh, used to be you know a couple Miles now, it's like a mile, uh, yeah. but it's going to be a little bit farther because you are relocating to uh, Texas, where uh, uh... <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, they want the, to secede, that's right, the thing.
1: they want us to secede from the United States. So, you're going to either a... be in the south of the United States or you're going to be in another country. I can't figure that out quite yet, but
2: yeah, yeah, could be. It's going to be an adventure. I'll be in, um, I'm gonna add some credibility to this this show by moving to Austin.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, that the, is the live capital, live music capital of the United States.
2: And yeah. uh, even though we only live a mile apart, we've only ever done the show in the same building once.
1: <laughs> is that true?
2: And, yeah, we did it at your house one time, and I don't even remember why. Um, it was for the uh, Chainsaw Kittens interview. I, I came over and did it at your place.
1: Oh, that's right.
2: But that's the only episode we've ever done in the same house.
1: (laughs) Well, it's because we can't really stand to be in the same room together. That's what it is. This
2: this is true. This is true. That's why I'm moving further away.
1: Right. It's actually going to improve the show by doing it. (laughs) By doing it that way. Uh, So we should talk about the, the final review of the year. It's a band that I picked and a band that you were familiar with, but I really wasn't, which is why I picked them. And they're called Sweetwater, and no, they were not in the movie Almost Famous. This is a different Sweetwater. This is Sweet Water, not Sweetwater, because there's a space in between Sweet and Water. This is a band uh, from Seattle, sh- uh, shockingly enough. They have nothing to do with the Almost Famous uh, band, which, however, has connections to Seattle. So there's some sort of weird thing going on there with uh, Seattle and whatnot. But anyway... Sweetwater were doing their album, Super Friends. It came out in 1995. I wasn't familiar with it, but it was one of those album covers that I really remember well seeing around the radio station, and I always wanted to check it out, and I never did. And I thought, you know what? I got a couple picks at the end of the year. I'm going to check it out. So this is a completely unknown band for me. Jay, you were familiar with them, correct? I was. How did you uh, come about uh, Sweetwater? You know,
2: I think just because they were from Seattle, I think it was like... Uh, right after you know Seattle kind of blew up, and they I don't know if they had a Pearl Jam connection or what, but I just had they heard do. the name and uh uh started digging around trying to find them. and I think I bought this record new, like what when it came out, like right when it came out. Um, and then I eventually went back and got their first record, um, in a you know bargain bin or dollar bin or something. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I just followed the I was just following trance
1: So you mentioned about, you know, Pearl Jam. Well there actually are some connections to Pearl Jam, which we're gonna to get to in the history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: So they were originally known as SGM while they were in school and then in nineteen ninety they changed their lineup and became Sweetwater. The original lineup which was for most of the early parts of the e- early years of the band was Rich Credo, Adam uh, Zeisler, Cole Peterson, Dudley Taft, and Paul Euler. Um, they put out their debut album "Tur," and when they, they played their first show, it was with a band called Mookie Blaylock. JD knew who Mookie Blaylock eventually became. Yeah, "Tur" got them signed. Uh, to Atlantic Records in 1992 and they released the following year their self-titled sophomore album which was produced by Don Gilmore who would later produce albums by Linkin Park Dashboard Confessional Lit and Pearl Jam It was also mixed by Tim Palmer who we know mixed Pearl Jam so there's some Mm -hmm. Pearl Jam connections uh, the band was then signed to Electra Records subsidiary East West, and they recorded their follow-up, uh, which is this album, Super Friends, with Dave Jordan, who worked with Allison Chains and Jane's Addiction, among other bands. Uh, prior to the recording of this album, uh, guitarist Dudley Taft was fired, so they went in as a five-piece but ended up recording the album as a four-piece. Which uh, Rich Credo is the sole guitar player on the record. Um, So Dave Jordan returned uh, behind the board to produce their uh, fourth album, Suicide, which came out in 1999 on EMI slash Good Inc. Records. The band spent 2000 through 2006 on hiatus. They started playing shows again in 2007 and in 2009, they released the album Clear the Tarmac on their own label, Golden City Records. Um, it was a label run by a guitarist, Rich Credo. The band continued to play shows. They toured with Iggy Pop in 2009, 2008 with Stone Temple Pilots. In 2009, drummer Paul Euler was replaced by Chris Friel. And in 2012, and 2000, 2012 the band released a single, and in 2013, uh, an EP. So they are actually active again. So, And then one other thing I wanted to mention is that when they were on Atlantic, well, they were known as being a hard touring, like a, a heavy touring band, doing lots of touring, getting out on lots of tours. They toured uh, for one leg of a Winger t- uh, concert, or a Winger tour. They opened up for Winger in 93. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, um,
2: Great. so that would have been like, oh, jeez. Winger was uncool by then, right?
1: Were they ever cool, Jay?
0: Really? No.
2: They no, were they were un- super
1: uncool by 93 because that's when um, yeah. Beavis and Head were making fun of them.
2: Well, that's even weirder. Yeah. Huh. But it was okay. a label
1: thing. You know, label mm-hmm. said go out and tour with this band. So they went out and toured with the band. Yeah. Um, so that is the history of... Uh, Sweetwater. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, of course, head on over to our request to review page at digmeoutpodcast.com and you can pick an album for us to review in the 2014 season. We did get a little bit of Facebook feedback. Tim James uh, said, I don't remember this being a bad album, but for me it wasn't memorable enough to make me want to listen to it again. So here's the question, Jay is this an album worth listening to again to again, or uh, like Tim James, should this one just be uh, forgotten in the dust bin in the, in the cutout bin of nineties uh, alternative rock?
2: Uh, I feel a little biased on this one. Um, so because I bought this new and probably, you know, and paid full price for it when it came out and
1: <laughs> you felt obligated to like it. Well, you-
2: yeah, you go back to not well, not like it necessarily, but you know, you go back, you know, for, for those. I, I guess if you're listening to this podcast, you you remember these times. It's not foreign to you, but think back to you know, in the '90s and '80s and '70s. If some of us remember back that far, like it cost a lot to buy a record because you didn't have much money and you didn't buy a ton of them. And you know, you maybe bought one every couple of weeks or one a week or something, and. When you bought them, you listened to them. Like, whether or not you might not have loved it the first listen, I'm not saying this record I didn't, but regardless, you might not have loved it the first listen, but you paid full price for it, (laughs) by God. You had the CD. Um, It wasn't easy to skip to another, you know, CD or tape or record. So you put it on and you pretty much, you know, made it through the whole thing. And um, sometimes you'd put it in your car and you'd really listen to the, the hell out of it because it was... You know, you'd forget to bring new new CDs in the car. So you'd spend a lot of time with records, um, listen to them a lot. And it, it wasn't always indicative of maybe loving it. So I, you know, this is one of those records I did that with. Um, I listened to a lot when I first got it, probably the first year or so of owning it. So I feel a little bit biased. Go back and listen to it now because... The material is so familiar to me, like I know every change and every, you know, lyric and every melody and every everything that it feels very hooky to me, like way more than I even expected it to. Like thinking mm-hmm. in my head about go back and visiting it, um, so I don't know if that's just me being familiar with the material or if it's genuinely that, you know, if there's uh, the melodies are that strong. Uh, on the record um you know i i was taken at the time when i first listened to it i was kind of taken aback by um how uh crunchy and not grungy the guitars were uh they're very much in the you know it's more of a guitar tone that would be akin to a poison record than it is to a nirvana (laughs) record yeah um and even some of the riffs are are like you know a bastardization between Jay Maskus and CC Deville. Um, it's oh, like... it's
1: funny that you mentioned CC Deville. I, was, I had the same thoughts on some of this <laughs> record.
2: So you kind of get flavors of both. Um, you know, so it's very sharp sounding. It's very from a from a guitar standpoint. It's very um, it's more '80s than it is '90s to me. Um, so '95 when this came out, that was you no know, interesting. Um, I kind of liked it because you know I come from that time period but I, there was also some weird and awkward mismashes of of that sound with um, more alternative approaches i guess or influences you know revisiting it i like the um i like the uptempo stuff i like the pop oriented stuff so tracks one through four you know really in the into that area um you know uh, even painless almost has like a green day kind of feel to it um some good choruses, um some really cool guitar riffs, um some interesting leads in that you know they're melodic, but they're still kind of like you know on un- overly um wanker guitar wankerish mm-hmm. you know they're still like uh, fuzzy and loose and um so there's a kind of a cool contrast there um it gets into some rocky areas with um like a big rock show. Not a great it's okay i kind of like the ly- lyrically i like that song but musically it's it's not very special um they do some slower stuff um like self-hater it's not it's okay um happy kind of has a cool uh, cars like like intro and and, and uh, guitar part but the um the chorus isn't very good <laughs> So there's, you know, probably a handful of songs on here that that aren't spectacular, but uh, the first four and then Slide, which is just a good poppy um, chorus and chord progression. It almost sounds like a slowed down super chunk song to me. And Adeline, Adeline which is um, just got some cool um, swagger to it. It's one <laughs> of the song where they kind of like loosen up a little bit. Um, it's not quite as like, you know... Um, razor sharp and propulsive it's a little bit more laid back and he can do some cool stuff vocally um so and then when the last the last song i, I like uh, quite a bit got a ch- chunky kind of uh, driving rhythm in the in the verses and um the chorus just kind of got a, like an anthemic hard rock feel to it which is i think works for them so <clears throat> you know overall i guess i the f- the first uh, bit of feedback we got it's a little bit. I kind of get where they're going, but it's also a little bit puzzling because I think this band in 1995, at least to me, sounded very different. Um, mm-hmm. Vocally, they sound very unique. Like I don't I have a hard time comparing his vocal to anybody. It's kind of nasal, but it, it but it's also kind of loose, and he he does some interesting things with phrasing and not being repetitive. And lyrically, it's at times very strange, and other times, you know pretty straightforward in terms of you know hard rock or alternative hard rock um guitar wise like i said it doesn't it didn't sound like anything else that i had heard at that time um you know that was popular in 1995 on the radio so in some ways it's, it's a little bit puzzling that it doesn't stand out more to to i would almost think it wasn't popular because it it was so it was too different than what was uh what was going on on the radio at the time and um so the first comment about it kind of being maybe a more along the lines of, you know, predictable or unremarkable is a little bit puzzling to me. Um, but well, I don't know. What did, what did you think? I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts cause you obviously you haven't heard the record.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I'm actually, I think I arrived at the same place as you, but from a different you know way in that this was the first time me listening to it. So I had the benefit of all the years of, uh, you know, history behind it. Um, it does sound completely different than anything that was coming out in nineteen ninety five. This is so much more of like a straight up rock, pop, rock record. Fits in more with like the late nineties, early two thousands. You know, I, I could see this as a band that would have been like opening for Glucifer in the helicopters or something. You know, that it, it makes much more sense in in that realm than a band that was playing with grunge bands in the mid 90s or even opening for winger i mean they just it this is much more in the pop punk uh end of things and then they do when they get into the slower songs you know that edge is gone so they they drift into like almost tackling a little bit of like a stonesy feel on on some of the songs but i think they're at their sharpest when they're playing up tempo like you mentioned the first four tracks i thought when i first heard the record i thought superstar was a cover because it was so catchy and so well written and I was like I was convinced that that was a cover of something and I looked it up and it was no it was an original by the band and I cannot fathom how that wasn't a massive single because that is such a good song I mean this this record to me is made by that song do
0: you wanna be rich
1: have a lot of good stuff around it but that to me is is the is the gem on the record
2: that's making me want to go see what the uh, alternative rock hits of 1995 were but (laughs) keep talking yeah because i totally agree like i at the time and even and even now in hindsight listening to that song i'm like well i mean this is it it does everything right like they followed the formula of how to write a a hit rock song and it wasn't a hit rock song
1: right exactly and i mean you know, by 95, you're getting, like, you know, Weezer's already been popular. So there's definitely a, a power pop or, I don't even want to call them pop punk because that's not really true, but Green Day is pop punk, and they were popular by then. So there's no reason why this band couldn't have crossed, you know, over to a bigger mainstream audience from where they were. I mean, they're on a major label, but they obviously didn't sell records the way that those bands did. Um, but they have elements of those bands, of Weezer and Green Day, but I think they have a little bit of a harder edge on some of their you know, the stuff like Cake and Strychnine, the opening track. Um, it's just a little bit more aggressive than than those bands, and I, I think there are some very slight nods to you know eighties metal. Uh, "No syrup for your pancakes" is a song that sort of combines the the leads of Billy Duffy with the blazing solos of you mentioned C.C. DeVille. Mm-hmm. Um, that that guitar riff that's in that. It starts that song and it appears throughout it. Um, really, it really sounds like the cult. song overall and especially his vocal it has no real comparison to ian asbury but it has elements of sort of 80s hair glam metal um without being really a hair glam metal song just and there's you know there are there were bands that were in that era that were a little punkier Uh, i'm thinking of like the first faster pussycat record Um, Mm -hmm. you know you take there are riffs on like bathroom wall, or uh, you know that that would not that I could see this band cribbing from, you know, mm. from that from that sort of a, an era of sort of like the sleazier, punkier side of of uh, of 80s, you know, not the Bon Jovi and the Def Leppard aspect of it, but the a bit of the grittier stuff. Um, and the thing that I really liked about this record is the guitar tone. I mean, it's so crisp. And so big, and um, you know, I guess that's Dave Jardin or Jardin, whatever you say his name. Um, his production, I mean, it's it's just so tasty. The guitars, um, they're not, they don't sound processed. They sound just like, I'm assuming those are Marshalls and Les Pauls that are getting recorded because that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, they don't sound twangy like Telecasters or Strats or anything like that. They sound like big, thick. Uh, Gibson guitar tones.
2: Yeah, and there's some spots where uh, it's interesting to know that the same guitar, because the, there's two guitar tracks on a lot of these songs that are right. different. So it's interesting that it's the same guitar player. So it's not kind of like Superstar. They go to that verse, and you know it's very crunchy, um, the main guitar riff, but in, the, in those verses, there's a second guitar that's doing this really cool, almost funky, kind of like clean guitar. Mm hmm thing that plays off the vocal it kind of plays off the main riff but does its own thing um it's that it's a kind of thing where you would when you hear something like that you're like oh well that's two guitar players because it's two guys kind of taking different approaches to the same kind of theme right and they're coming together and different tones and different you know styles on the riff but knowing it's the same person is kind of interesting um and there's some other parts of the record where similar things happen, where there's, there's these cool accent guitars um, that you know do, use different tones, use a cleaner tone instead of that crunchy tone all the time. But um, that big tone that you're describing is you know one of the signatures of the record. There's no doubt about that.
1: I think the, the record starts to lose me a little bit in the back half. I, uh, the slower stuff doesn't connect with me as well. And mm-hmm. I don't think his vocal has enough range on those songs as well. Um, I think he has a he has a good vocal for the aggressive louder stuff, and I think it's just sort of average for the slower songs. Um, and uh, honestly, with it being a pop record, when things start to slow down, then I start paying attention to the to the lyrics, and they don't yep. they don't really do as much for me on those songs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I I'm glad I finally got to, and I agree with you on the last track, "Win." That's a good, real good closer, real strong closer. I'm glad I got to revisit the record. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff on here, but I don't think it's a uh, you know this isn't like a, a lost classic that you have to go out and rediscover because it's uh, it's a um, a missed opportunity. I think if if you were to just play somebody's superstar and go, this is one of those w- should have been one hit wonders that never happened, you know instead of instead of a president of the United States having three singles. You know, maybe Sweetwater could have had a cool, could have had a big single instead. Yeah.
2: well, and that was I was just going through the the songs of '95, and they were one of them. You know, so just going through this list, um, Green Day, "When I Come Around." You know, there's some similarities in terms of
1: mm-hmm.
2: at least sound there. You know, uh, better than Ezra, good. Yeah, that's not setting a huge bar. Misery by Soul Asylum. Uh, you want to know on more set. J A R by Green Day? What the hell is that? i don't know what song that is. Uh
1: Jar? I, don't, I don't remember. I don't Tomorrow that song.
2: Tomorrow by Silver Chair, come down by Bush, <laughs> Name by Goo, Goo Dolls, and then Lump by President of the United States. You kinda of get a gist of like, you know, that's where we were at this point and I yeah, I can't I can't understand why that song wouldn't have got wouldn't have got a chance to uh Get some Radio Airplay, and, and yeah, I agree, it's kind of, um, I think if you're a power pop person, and you're just, you know, one of those, you're just looking for every power pop record that came out, because, you know, there's were there there been pockets of time here where there's been a lot less of them than, than other times, and I think this would have been one of those times where there wasn't a lot of good power pop coming out right, um, in the mid-90s, at least not to my knowledge, so it would be um maybe a good pickup for somebody that's into that um superstar's a great song so um like you said if you're kind of into the the hits that never were that would certainly be one but i could see the rest of the record being like um you know i don't i don't know i've never listened to the whole better than ezra record right i can imagine the rest of that record kind of being of the same quality in terms and it, it, like one of those you know one hit wonder type bands where you listen to the rest of the record and you're like oh, okay i get why Usually, I get why (laughs) there were no other hits on this record, because, you know, the rest of the material is kind of just a notch below. And uh, I feel a little bit like that on this record, like Superstar Stands Out, by far the best song. And then there's, like, probably three or four other ones that are close, and then there's a bunch of others that are just, you know, fairly forgettable.
1: So in in your revisiting it, Jay, if you were to apply our uh, patent-pending rating scale of worthy album better EP or decent single where would you be at
2: um I'm so biased I'm so familiar with this stuff I, I'm gonna have to save for the album I just can't I can't separate myself from it because I just know it so well um, going through it and trying to be as fair as possible I was at uh, one two three four five six seven you know songs that I really liked. Um, I could easily probably add two more, you know, be up to nine. So I think it's a worthy record.
1: I'm actually, when you said seven, that's right where I'm at as well. I'm at seven songs. Um, I could be be swayed on at least one more song. So I'm going to say worthy album as well, too. Uh, A shortened album, yes, but a worthy album uh, nonetheless. So uh, that rhymed, and I didn't even intend it to. Uh, so that is our, hour. that is our, our, that doesn't, I'm not uh, speaking correctly. Oh, that's some bad pronunciation. That is our review of, uh, Super Friends by Sweetwater. If you would like to suggest an album for us to review, head on over to our, uh, request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com and request an album for us to review. And of course, this is the last time I'll mention it, but if you leave us positive feedback on our iTunes page during the month of December 2013. We will then, at the beginning of our 2014 season, choose one person, randomly, of course, and select them to pick an album for review uh, during our 2014 season. So... We have some, uh, you know, people are, are probably wondering: Is, is anything going to change during 2014 besides Jay moving to a different time zone? Uh, the answer is yes, and we'll we'll give some of those details uh, during our final season or a wrap up of the third season and our final episode of the season. Uh, nothing huge, but we're just gonna, you know, it's always good to uh, make a, an adjustment here or there, you know, as the uh, <clears throat> as the years move on. So. We're going to be bringing in our, our our cousin, Oliver. He's going to be joining us for <laughs> episodes. So uh, we're going to get his unique take on uh, all these records that we're going to be reviewing. So I we're, hope everybody uh, enjoys.
2: Uh, Tim and I are, are in a contract dispute right now. So um, yeah. they're going to be bringing in... Um, <clears throat> Coin Vance. Yeah, Coin Vance to, uh, to come up the show. <laughs> Really getting sorted out.
1: Oh, that would be awesome! We should do that during for the first episode. It'd be like, I'm Coy and I'm Vance.
2: I was trying to come up with two names that sounded like Tim and Jay, but weren't Tim and Jay, and I couldn't come up with one for for uh for Jay. Jim and Ray. There you go, Jim and Ray. Jim and Ray will be <laughs>
1: in the
0: show.
1: Nice. All right, folks. Check back in next week for our final episode of the 2013 season. Until then, for Jay, I'm Tim. We will see you, or more logically, uh talk to you next week
0: on another episode of Dig Me Out. Oh, yeah,